All right, GMGN, all you beautiful DGENs. This is Non-Fungible Alpha, and this week we have a very special guest with us. Matthew, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. So I really appreciate you being here, making the time for us, because I know that you've been busy. But for those of you who are unfamiliar with Matt, Matt, could you give yourself an introduction? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for uh, having me on. Um, I am the Matthew A. I guess that's how most people know me on Twitter or in the old school Discord days, J. Henry Slight, which is a name that doesn't come up <laughs> much these days. But yeah, um, spent the last many, many years in advertising and entertainment as a writer, a creative director, a creator, uh, some indie films, some interactive mobile applications, worked at FX, worked at Fox. And then been super deep in the NFT community since, I guess, last February or March um, via Top Shot, like uh, many people. So, and then, yeah, Top Shot and then Ape. So, been here every day, <laughs> every day since, I think. Cool. So, can you let us know just a, a little bit more, like dive deeper into your industry background or the skills that yeah. you've gained along the way in your professional career? Yeah, absolutely. So, I studied marketing in college a really long time ago. Um, I graduated from Texas A&M, which is a school that I know you're familiar with there in, in the great state of Texas. Um, I didn't know really what I wanted to do. I had wanted to kind of get into finance or advertising when I went to college and I didn't like finance classes that much. So I went advertising route and started out at an agency. So actually, weirdly, you won't believe this because I'm not like the most technical person in the world, but I started out as a web developer. <laughs> so that was my first job at, at an agency. It was like a startup agency that worked with a lot of nonprofits, American Heart Association, American Cancer Society. Um, we did a lot of kind of fundraising campaigns and things like that. So I started out on the web dev side. And then within a few months, they were like, please stop doing this. Um, we want you on the creative side. And ever since then, that was 2009. Um, yeah. So what happened is Dallas is, you know, a lot of people know is not like the creative capital of the world. And so kind of hit a ceiling of what I wanted to do and was interested in. And I was like, I love storytelling and technology. I need to be in San Francisco or Los Angeles. So I went to Los Angeles first, actually, for a little while and lived in the warehouse, which was its own great experience. And then I went up to Silicon Valley and was living in Palo Alto, working on the brand team for Skype living in hacker houses. This was early Airbnb days. So like literally sleeping on bunk beds with people from all over the world coming in to pitch things to YCOM and engineers and AI. It was during the launch of Ethereum. So everyone was talking about ETH. Everyone was talking about Zcash, which was also launching at the time. So I was around all of that. And I was like, I, I'm like an advertising marketing creator. I don't really like, I had read the Bitcoin white paper forever ago. I'm like, I don't see how this translates to what I do. Um, and I actually moved from Silicon Valley to Los Angeles the week that Ethereum had the first conference in LA. Uh, so I still remember that in my mind because that's everyone was talking about going down to LA. And um, I did not buy Ethereum. So, but I always kind of paid attention to it from that. And, and I think I was, you know, when I came back to LA, still on the advertising side, I was working, I was the director of creative strategy mm -hmm. um, for kind of the ad tech side of Fox and 20th Century Fox. And then I got poached from there working on a campaign to go over and be the creative director for branded content at FX Networks and was doing that um, for a couple of years. And then 
Yeah, so I was there with Mark, um, who's a really interesting guy, investor, financier, like I said, produced the Jaws movie with Ashton Kutcher. And then we had a lot of kind of interesting things working, had just started rolling out. I kid you not, February that COVID started, we had just started rolling out like an event series we were hosting to kind of introduce people to um, our company, which is called Paper Landers Lab and what we were working on. We had one event and then everything shut down for about a year, a year and a half. And Mark's other businesses, he owns restaurants and he owns trade shows. And so he was like, I don't really want to do entertainment right now because all my other businesses have to have people in them. So I kind of reset. And at the end of you know a year resetting and like we're working on a bunch of other creative stuff, discovered NFTs and really was then, you know, I had already been exploring for kind of a year before that. Is there inter- something interesting to do with like interactive content on Twitch? Is there something that we can do for this idea of like interactive viewing? Like people in LA are very nervous with the entertainment industry. Everyone, everyone here is worried about like streaming. Like what's the future of entertainment if people are just watching stuff on their phones? And so I think for me for the last several years, I've been talking with a lot of people here and kind of looking ahead of like, where are things going? And how can we kind of do some experiments and figure out what the, you know, what kind of those next content formats are and, and kind of new release strategies. Yeah. So you have this cool kind of background of where you, you grew up in Texas. Uh, you went to school at A&M. You uh, got your, you know, your first job kind of in tech, but it seems like you always kind of had this calling to be on the creative or entertainment side. Did you know that or did you feel that early on in life or is it something that just came out of nowhere it was always there it's actually one of my best friends um growing up who's doing the visual component so the production company we started back in 2011 he more or less still runs that company in texas um so he's doing the visual component for this event that we have coming up and we grew up together from the age of like 10 and he was always directing and I was always writing. So we were making short films and it was your very classic camera, you know, recording onto VHS, tape deck editing, like filmmaker stories. And the first film that I made is what we made together. He directed, I wrote and produced. And so I think that was always, um, it was always there. I just didn't know it's half my brain. So it was half, half of me was doing that growing up. And the other half was when I was like 10, I sold a cow and opened a stock market account, um, <laughs> a custodial account with like, it's like TD Water Trade or something, a Harris Direct at the time that my dad opened for me. So I was like, half of me is like creative and half of me was like trying to be a stock trader and like scanning peg ratios when I was like 11. <laughs> so it's a bit of a war in my brain, I would say. Dude, no way. That That is awesome. I mean, I really relate to that, but the episode is not about me, but yeah, I, I can I can definitely see that. I've always... I've always struggled um, kind of sitting on the fence there between tech and then also the creative side. So uh, you did touch there about how you heard about crypto and then also yeah. a little bit about how you got into NFTs. But could you just reiterate, what was the first thing that got you into NFTs? Like, what was the first NFT that you bought? The first NFT I bought was Top Shot. Um, and I had, I guess, so... Um, my girlfriend, that that ghost girl, um, who's also producing this project um, with us, she says that she told me about NFTs back in January. 
but my friend Stately Wayne Manor is actually, I think, the reason I got into NFTs, and I know you know who that is, because he was messaging me about Top Shot back in, like, end of January, early February, just before the, like, massive pump. Mm -hmm. And that was, like, I, I kind of heard about it. I looked at it. I looked into it, and I'm like, okay, collectibles. I collected baseball cards as a kid. I still I gave all them to my nieces and nephews. So they, <laughs> they've been, like, going through eBay and selling them to you in the last, like, couple of years. But... I'm like, yeah. I get this. I understand this. This makes sense. But then I started learning about other use cases for NFTs. And as someone who has a deep like branding background, the idea of unlocking loyalty, the idea of having a token that is loyalty rewards, that is all of these things that people crave as direct relationships with like content and content creators, that to me was just super intuitive and made it made sense in a way that like, okay, digital gold, which is what people were calling Bitcoin in 2011 or whatever. I'm like, I get it. I get it. I do. It makes sense. Ethereum as a, conceptually was always really interesting to me, but I didn't see the use case for, you know, me as, uh, you know, in my normal life. Sure. And honestly, that doesn't surprise me, you know, where you start out with one thing, but then your, your head is already thinking of the different use cases that could be out there. Uh, to be applied from that technology because it was apparent in your background, right? Like when when you got to a place, you know, LA, wherever it may have been, you're like, okay, this, maybe you're not thinking this isn't good enough, but you're thinking, what else can I do with it? What other ways are unexplored? Because I think the thing that, there were a couple of things that really have become interesting to me over the last 18 months, especially kind of digging into stuff more. One of the, if you ask anyone in kind of Hollywood and entertainment system, like what are the things that are sort of fundamentally broken? A lot of people will say since streaming, especially if you ask an agent, they'll say Netflix. If you ask an actor, they'll say Netflix. And if you ask a producer, they'll say Netflix. In, in part, it, for different reasons, it all comes back to like the streaming model doesn't really work that well for creators. And then for me on the advertising side, you know, it's an attention-based economy and people are essentially just the product being sold. And so the idea of decentralization in terms of ownership and have, like, having like profit participation and platforms is really interesting to me from like a scalability standpoint for content, right? If I could have some sort of profit participation or coin reward or loyalty program for just being a member of Netflix for a long time, like having some of that value come back to me as a consumer is really interesting. And I think as we look towards the future for not just entertainment, but like the a, a future of automation and AI, the idea of being able to people being actually able to make money out of being consumers, not in a like, let me click these surveys on like the weird Facebook apps and stuff, but, but in a way that like creativity and like participation and culture is valued is really, I think, important. And, and I think there's an opportunity to do that in Web3. And then on the creator side, I think the ability to have, and this is like the tricky thing, but I think if this can be solved, it's really interesting, is the ability to share equity between all of the participants on the creator side and the consumer side in a way that's really transparent. And, and that's just like not what the entertainment industry has ever been. So for me, the way I look at like, what we're doing on Ethereum and what a lot of creators are doing on Ethereum, I think of like all of like ETH as a test net. Like this is a place to experiment with real money and real stakes, models that whether or not they end up in the end on the blockchain can be used to like improve systems, 
Yeah. And I'll give you an interesting, cause this is like the specific example that we've talked about, like on the, on the entertainment side. So when I say it's a challenge for like, so in entertainment, there's above the line, which is obviously like the actors, the directors, the producers, and there's below the line, which is everyone else who works on the films. Right. So it's like a hundred people for everyone that's above the line. Netflix pays really well, but, or at least they did until now they have kind of pricing power. So they don't play as well. But they also don't, let's say you are below the line staffer, like someone who works on a TV show as a grip or hair and makeup or whatever. In the past, like you would be on a television season that was 22 episodes and then it would get picked up for more seasons. And it's sort of like, it's a repeatable sort of work cycle. Well now, yeah, you may be being paid more per episode, but Netflix is doing eight episodes and then Mm. they're not going to renew it. It's canceled. So you're, it's really a much more like job to job hunting, track down what you're going to be. There's a lot less job security. There's a lot less ability to predict like what's going to work for you. And then there are unions to obviously that's why you have unions and you pay dues and like all of that stuff so that you'll be able to like, you know, have some sort of like pension down the road. But a lot of those, you know, productions aren't all SAG or they aren't all signatory. Like the new models the new models of how revenue is generated don't match to the old models of how revenue is shared. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been a huge like bonus for the streaming companies who have come in and reset those things. But it's really tough on a lot of people in the industry. Could you let us know a little bit about like what you like to collect? I collect everything. It's a problem. Uh, but I would say like <laughs> my biggest things I like to collect are art. I, I like to like art. I still like collecting art blocks and generative art. Um, I like collecting, I would say I study a lot of entertainment projects. So like anything entertainment that comes out, I try and look at and kind of see like what their model is. But I guess from a collector standpoint, I really like collecting art. And I would say specifically like crypto art. So like artists like, let's say like Nest Graphics, um, obviously everyone likes to collect X copy, but I would say there's a lot of like Miss Al Simpson. What happened is when I got into, when I got into kind of the collecting side, the two things that were really discovery for me, and this was like last probably April or May of 2021 was and NFT boxes, which I know everyone has a mixed sort of opinion of both Pranksy and his NFT boxes, depending on when you came into that project. But I learned a lot about OG crypto art and Coldy and, you know, Hackatow and a lot of money, who obviously passed this last year I that I wouldn't have known just from like being like, who are these people? And then following all of these threads. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I kind of became indoctrinated into this, like kind of who the, that sort of like crypto art. And then also I discovered art blocks. So those were the two, I, I think just like when you, when you come into something and like, that's what you get to know first, you kind of have a soft spot for it. And that's really, I think what happened to me. I don't collect a ton of top shot anymore, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I think art blocks is definitely when you find yourself in the intersection of NFTs and then art, you inevitably find out about art blocks. And I think it's it's very much different today than what it used to be. But, you know, it's just and but I'm saying that because when I came into it or when I came to know of it, it was like a, a madhouse, right? For for art blocks drops. For, especially for the curated ones, right? Where they would just almost instantly sell out. It was always a gas war. Uh, gas was very expensive at that point. And so when I knew of it, it was just, that was 100% buy if you could. 
And then now it's, you know, it, it, not every drop sells out there. And then yeah. definitely not anywhere near the top of the Dutch auction price if they do take that model. Yeah. Our blocks are very historic and significant in the space. And again, when you talk about the intersection of art and NFTs, uh, their name has to be thrown in the hat. But speaking of the market, because we, we are in this bear market, do you, would you say like NFTs are dead? Um, I hope they're not dead um, or else this is really bad timing. But I, I think, I guess I would say I've, I've been of the perspective starting like kind of end of last year of like, this is absolutely insane and is not going to last. And I know you've, we've had that conversation. You, you've been on that probably like even before that too. Like I think last summer we were probably like, surely this PFP animal collection thing is dead. And it just was, we just happened nine months or 10 months later than we thought it was going to. So I guess my feeling is that there's so there was so much speculation and there was not much innovation. And I've gone back and listened to people like um, Carlini, who was early in crypto kitties and has like the Penelope's um, club. Mm -hmm. And that's a great community. Those guys and gals over there, but PCC. Yeah. I've listened to him talk about what it was like 2017, that same sort of like hype cycle. And obviously Nate Alex and those people, there's this huge hype cycle and money comes in. There was so much demand for like very few projects. So every few projects, every project would sell out. And then there's no reason for you to own any of those things. So you're like, let's just get rid of it. So I, I think, you know, the, the short story, no, I don't think NFTs are dead. I think we're just at the end of a sort of like PFP craze that kind of needed to die. And then now there's some healthy sort of like building. Yeah. It, I mean, I think everything like this, and especially in terms of digital collectibles or any type of collectibles, they they kind of follow this pattern, right? And I, we even saw a micro pattern there, like in Top Shot. And if you follow yeah. the Top Shot trajectory, and you can just project it onto this NFT craze, and we're somewhere along that timeline that Top Shot was on, and Top Shot is still doing, you know, I think to their expectations, still pretty successful. I agree, and I think that. Here's something, like I said, the things that I look at most are like kind of entertainment projects. So like you can go back. I was really like hype on Pixel Vault very early on, like buying comics when they were still sitting on the shelves for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And I think the reality is that, and this is, I would say there's kind of, for the most part, and I'll just focus like on the entertainment side because that's the side I kind of pay most attention to. There've been mostly two types of projects for the last year, year and a half. And it's either projects by people who don't know how the entertainment industry works. And so they just sell a bunch of NFTs to like make a pitch deck for something. I don't know. Those products will never get made. And there's people who know how the entertainment industry works and take advantage of the fact that no one else knows how the entertainment industry works and sell a bunch of NFTs to make a pitch deck for a product that will never exist. So, and then there's like really absolutely like great community. Like there's people like Jenkins who have been building. There's people like Forgotten Rune Wizards who have been building and creating lore. There's Cyber Brokers, which is one of my favorite projects, who do a really good mix. I think of we're going to create lore and like kind of do like our, you know, here's our foundational storytelling and let the community sort of build on that. But that process, like, it takes a year plus to put something out. So you know, it took Jenkins just did their book. They've been the project for what, fifteen months. Like Forgotten mm-hmm. Rune Wizards just an outlet did the trailer for a TV show, and they have, by the way, um, Derek Colstad, who's like a fantastic writer who came on to showrun that, and which is like a huge get. He's a writer of like John Wick, uh, has a lot of stuff in production, 
there's not a lot of names. I don't know of any other name in the NFT space for any project that matters one iota except him. And so that's a huge get by them, but it's still, it, it takes a year. So like you're thinking, okay, all these NFT projects came out, whether or not they are not going to do anything, the, the idea of like, here's the valuation two days after you launch, and then it's going to be a year till you have anything that could produce revenue. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. that, you, you, we understand, we've been talking about this, for you, you know? And that's, that's where the disconnect is, uh, I think, in between the participants, right? The consumers, the traders, and versus the, the project owners and the founders, and particularly the ones that are actually trying to, to build something here. And there's there's multiple different models of how to release that project, and you know we'll get into into how you did yours. But just like Jenkins, Jenkins started off basically as a, a derivative of a board yeah. ape, right? And that's all it was. It was he was he knew. I don't know. I can't say that he knew about the entertainment, but he definitely knew about kind of media and uh, making the most of his character's IP. So and then it kind of grew into this organically, naturally. But again, with that being said, it was still at some point essentially seed funded by the public, right? With the Jenkins, the valet drop. And then that's how they got this funding. And then from that funding, then they grew a team and then they built or trying to build an even bigger product. I would love to do a deep dive into some of the projects and platforms and apps and, and games that have taken those different approaches and models and to see which one has and I don't even know if market cap is a good like KPI to, oh, right, to judge right. them by, but just to dive in into some of those metrics and to see if we can get something that's objectively like where you can objectively say like that project was more successful because they launched this way. Yeah, that's a good question, right? Because what you bring up is what is the measure of success? Right. Mm -hmm. Like it, you, there's not a share price. Like, I mean, I understand you can say that like an NFT token is a proxy for it, but it has no connection to revenue. So like, it's not, you can't, you can't really calculate it. Like it's just almost all like a mix of speculative value. And we like the art, <laughs> which as we've seen the last several months is like pretty weighted towards speculative. <laughs> so to dive into your project more, what, what inspired you to start your own project? I think what really inspired me was I had like even a year before put this deck together called interactive view. Like it was called like um, interactive viewing, like storytelling and new media. And this was before I knew anything about NFTs. And my sort of thesis was what people want is not interactive storytelling, like Bandersnatch, like here's a piece of content. And I want to change what happens in it, right? Choose your own adventure. Actually, some people even referred to what I'm doing as choose your own adventure. It's not, the story's already done. I hate choose your own adventure. It's like, congratulations. It, I did those books when I was 11. I guess they were fun. And but whatever, like that's a terrible form of storytelling in my opinion. Unless you're in a game, which is a different, different thing. But I, I was like, people don't want, I don't think people want to interact and change the outcome of like a movie that they're watching. I just don't think people want to do that. And the reason why is that we are doing interactive storytelling 24 hours a day on social media all the time. We're already telling our own story. We're already interacting with each other. We're already remixing constantly, determining outcomes. I think what people really want and what I think there's a void is that we want to feel like we're part of the same story. 
that we want to share experiences together because now the way we consume media is so fragmented. We people don't all go to the, see the same movie on the same weekend, like almost at all. Like we don't, there's not a lot of like water cooler television. We, nobody's watching like the 6 PM news, right? Even if your, your parents aren't even doing that, they're all watching their different cable news and then arguing about what someone yelled at them. At least my parents are sometimes. So I think for me, there was this idea of like, I want to create shared narratives and I want to create storytelling experiences that people can participate in together, not which I call it interactive viewing and not interactive storytelling. And what clicked for me with NFTs very early on was, oh, I can make people have a stake in the thing that they're like watching or listening to because they have ownership of an NFT that's connected to it. Doesn't mean they have to change what's going to happen in the story, but they can have skin in the game. In the same way that if you're playing and you, you know this very well, that's why, you know, sports owners want people to have sports betting and daily fantasy and all of that is because if I'm watching a game, even if I don't care about either of the teams, but I have some sort of stake in it, it's interesting. Right. And I think that, I think there's a big market for that on the storytelling side. We're taking a slightly different approach with this because, you know, we're not a gambling operation, <laughs> but that was really, that was really what got it into me is saying, okay, I want to create shared interactive viewing experiences nfts are a no-brainer i think i don't know if i if i try to remember some of the projects from last year that have come up in that area like you said there's pixel vault but there's also stoner cats right coming from mm -hmm. ashton kutcher and, and mila yeah. kunis and, and that team over there um was there anything that you took from either of those projects where you're like okay i like that but i like to do it a little different i've tried to learn something from every project right because we're all figuring this out nobody knows what's going to work i don't know that what i'm doing is going to work or there's probably a lot of things that are in hindsight i'll be like oh that was a bad idea so we're all trying to like i think iterate and figure this out together and hopefully there's some things in what i'm doing that are experiments that other people can learn from i would say there's there's some big lessons i've taken overall from a lot of projects and then there's some very specific lessons I've taken from projects. The overall lesson I've taken from a lot is the NFT community's attention span is like 48 hours. So I wanted to create, that led to me wanting to create an event that's contained and like a Halloween weekend, right? Versus creating a project where it's like, we're going to do this and it's going to take a month, right? We're going to do a game that lasts for a month. Because even things like Wolf Game, like last November, or I don't mean, take, take your pick. Right. Any project, people are like really hype about it for like a weekend. And then it's like, okay, this is a lot of work. I don't want to do this. For sure. So I, that was a big lesson that I took. Like in overall, I want to create a contained experience. And then I also was like, I don't want, because I've been a part of a lot of storytelling projects. And I've seen, even like I said, the good ones, right, struggle with how do you keep people engaged long term. So I was like, I don't want to build an entirely new community for a project. I want to build an experience for existing communities to enjoy together, right? That shared narrative. I want, and that's why we're releasing, I would say the big thing from Stoner Cats specifically that I didn't want to do is I didn't want to create a gated viewing experience of the content, of the story. So our Twitch stream, people are going, anyone can come to it and watch it and listen to it and like hear the timekeeper. So you don't have to have an NFT to do that. And because we wanted to create an experience that everyone could enjoy and get hype about together and be like, this, this is why we're doing this. Like if we gate that and we say only if you have X amount of money, can you like share this with us? That just felt wrong. So 
that was like the general things. And then specifically like Chain Faces Arena was a big inspiration for this idea in our project of if you have an NFT and you play the timekeepers game, but you lose your NFT turns into a ghost. So this idea of, can we like do a metadata push? Can we change it? Um, and Nate did all that stuff on chain, which we're not doing because we have too many interactions. It's going to be hyper expensive, but that idea of having an NFT that like disappears. And I would say Wolf game was also like those sorts of mechanics were definitely things were sort of inspirational for the timekeepers game itself. I think there's two interesting things you you mentioned there, and it's one about being on chain, right? Having all these interactions or transactions, uh, metadata changes and stuff on chain, is that I think people people get they overrate that stuff about everything being on chain. And there's specific use cases and projects where yeah, it does make sense, or yeah, that would make the project more valuable. But when it comes down to like a user experience. Nobody wants to have to submit 15, 25 transactions and pay a dollar to five dollars per transaction like that. Like there's it wouldn't make any sense. And that would kind of break up and uh, <clears throat> well, break up the experience, I think. Where... I agree. And I think there's I, to your point, like I think there is a. An, there's an ethos in Web3 that like if it's on chain, that's what makes it different. And it's like it lasts right. It's durable because it's not like just a link to an image and like that's cyber brokers with SVGs and being able to like recreate, like I get all of that. I just don't think it makes sense for every project. Like you said, like we have to create onboarding experiences that like make sense for people. And I, I don't think we're there yet to a large extent, but I, I do think that there's like time stuff just doesn't need to be on chain. Yeah. And then the, the second thing is that there is a benefit actually from not, token gating the the content or the media because when you do token gate it you're essentially restricting by by nature of the users uh users is that they have to experience that on desktop well you're right and and i think we we may be moving to a place where people are like you you don't want to have a crypto wallet on your mobile device period right just Mm -hmm. for like a security standpoint so Mm -hmm. i i guess my biggest thing with like whether or not you should gate content is this stuff becomes successful because everyone's talking about it and people want to watch it and you want to experience this thing together. And if you gate it, you're just fragmenting like an audience. Like, you know, I, I just don't, stoner cats could be really good. I have a stoner cat still, I think like in the cartoon could be pretty good, but like, I don't want to go through the trouble of like every 10 weeks I get an episode and I have to go like to some platform. Like I, that to me is just not like a great user experience. Yeah, I think I would love to share that content, that media with, again, my family and friends and be able to tell them about the amazing things that I'm watching and I'm seeing. And not only that, like, okay, cool, the, the videos, the episodes are amazing. But because I own this NFT, because I have some skin in the game, right, I'm getting this premium bonuses, premium experience, or these other assets. Yeah. And I think what you bring up is something I I thought about a lot, because I think that the the obvious use case for NFTs for entertainment is like, it's an enhanced ticket, right? Like if I go to a movie theater and I pay, I don't know, it's cost however much to go to the movies, like I'm paying for an entertainment experience, right? Like the entertainment is what I get. Like that's the product that I pay for. I think it's dangerous and this is what those NFTs do is like a Kickstarter is like the thing you have to make great entertainment. That's the thing that's going to be valuable that things are going to be, people are going to be paying for. But we have a habit right now is we're selling 
pitch decks for something that doesn't exist, right? They're Kickstarters. And I think it's dangerous to make the idea that like the only value of the thing that you're creating, the only value of like a movie, if you make a movie is its profitability and its revenue and not the thing itself. Because this is like, nobody writes fan fiction for stories that don't exist, right? Like you have to have a story and then like you have fans, like people want to have people come and create fan fiction. There's nothing to be a fan of. You don't have a story. (laughs) Like, why, like I, me doing more work is not utility. Like, I don't want to buy an NFT and then have to go into your Discord and write your story. Like, what value are you bringing to it? Yeah, no, that, I think that's precisely it. So you have an idea, you, you have the background, you have the skills, um, and you're already involved in NFTs. You've done your research. Now, where do you go to launch the Web3 project? Like, where do you start? Is it Google? Like, how to start an NFT project? I started with lawyers so that was the first the first group we put together last december was our legal team and talking to people who were in the space who had put together nft projects and had worked with lawyers and so that's where um we got our cdos who's based in new york and they launched a bunch of projects and they also work in the podcast space because we wanted we knew we were making an audio drama so we wanted a legal team that had expertise in that and had expertise in nfts so that that was where we started. <laughs> that I think was the, that's that was your I think that's your wisdom, you know, flowing through. Getting everything squared away on the legal side is is paramount. So that's where we started, and then the next was, okay, who's gonna? Because I'm not a dev, as we've already discussed with my limited web development experience in HTML. Uh, <laughs> I was not going to, you know, write Solidity code. So who's gonna dev? And I wanted to do something with this game, right? Which is kind of web two and web three. There's like, it's NFT gated for the timekeepers game. The game itself is sort of like web two. So I had to find someone to build that out. And I talked to a lot of, uh, I I talked to a lot of people for, let's say it it probably took, I started doing that in January, early in January after we had the lawyers. Um, And then we found this team that we're working with, which is NFT agency. They're based in New York. uh, And I want to say in March. So it took three months of every day, basically talking to some really great companies, right. Talking to West coast NFT and props and a bunch of like legit places that have launched a bunch of projects, but the scope, those, they were mostly built out to do sort of like certain scope stuff with like, okay, like generative work. And not necessarily like all the custom stuff that I wanted to have done because I'm a masochist. So yeah, that was the second. It was, okay, first is I need to find out, I need to get the legal team. And then second is I need to know who's going to develop it. Because if I can't find, if I don't have the skill set to develop it, I have to find someone I trust or else I'm not doing the project, right? Like Mm -hmm. we were already working on, we already had like the script. We were already working full speed on like the audio drama side. But I was like, I as late as, you know, April until I was comfortable with the team, what they're putting together, I would have pulled the plug on the NFT side. Yeah. So how early on did you know, like, in size, is it bigger or smaller than what you anticipated? Uh, It's smaller than I wish it was given (laughs) what I'm doing, but I would say the team is about what I thought it would be right. Cause we have the agency team, which is, um, and they are working with, so Ryan Guider, who's our artist and then Myrna Suarez who shot, I, I would say here's something, no one in their right mind, if they were creating an event, right? We're creating an event. Timekeeper's game only lasts for like 30 hours. The art for our Timekeeper characters collection 
you're meant to play a game where that art can be destroyed, essentially. No one in their right mind would have like done ERC-721 really detailed, high-quality generative collection for the characters who are meant to be played in a game. And no one would have built out this like complex game that's only going to exist for like 30 hours. Mm-hmm. So like everything that we're doing is like as if it's meant to last forever, even though it is a very like short window. Short experience. window. Yeah. So yeah, there's, uh, there's probably, I don't know, there's probably 20 people working on stuff. So as we mentioned before, Whereas you guys have already built the project and you have been building the product for about a year or so. And we are about a week away from from the mint date. So can you tell us about some of the biggest lessons there? Yeah, I would say big lessons. And like this is, you know, we all know this from just like being in the NFT space for a while. It's really hard to plan a month in advance, much less a year in advance. So like, I, trying to figure out like where the market's going to be, you know, in January, like where it's going to be in October is really difficult. Um, trying to predict what's going to be like the meta for like launching a project is really difficult. I would say like the biggest mistake so far, I'm sure there'll be more, but I think the biggest mistake or kind of oversight, you know, from my side would be my ideal, my ideal, like I said, was not to build an entirely new community, but to create an experience for existing communities, right? Where it's not not trying to like siphon off users and be like, our community is now your community. Like, not like that, but like wanting to create an experience that everyone, that everyone could enjoy for free, right? Or you could participate and then have like your sort of piece of the timekeeper like moving forward of the franchise, right? So that was the goal. What I what I didn't really think about was like how much from January to now and going back like a month or so ago, the NFT scene would change where like all the projects I kind of knew people on or like thought would be easier to partner with for the most part are now like totally isolated. Like the NFT community has really like sunk into itself in a way that I didn't anticipate. So like because of scams and things, like people aren't doing collabs as much anymore. Like everyone was kind of like milking each other's communities to like do things. So I think everyone's like super gun shy of like wanting to like partner with anyone on anything. Mm-hmm. So I think I like drastically, I was like, I want to create an event that's fun for the whole community. And now I'm like, oh wait, no communities want to participate. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think that was like, if I had understood that in advance, then we could have been like, okay, well, screw it. We'll just build up our own community. And we would have started that in, you know, July. Mm. Right. But I didn't want to do that. And I was, I guess, probably too stubborn about that. And so now we're like scrambling. Okay. How do we make sure everyone actually knows that this thing exists? Yeah. And I like that, you know, you've already analyzed that, right? You've learned from it and you can go back to somewhat of the of the root cause and you've already thought about what you would do different. Whereas, you know, some founders, either one may not just think of it at all in, in uh, triage the, the issue or they might not do it until after launch. And you're there already with your team thinking about, okay, this is something, let it be a lesson, right? Where What can yeah. we learn from this? Uh, even before the mint. So I think that's pretty impressive. 
Yeah, I think you have to be able to adapt, like, or you at least have to try to adapt, right? Because you can't change the market. The market is what it is. And I think one thing I've learned from just doing other projects before is no one cares about what you're working on. Like, it's your job to make them care. And if you can't figure out a way to do that, that's not their fault. Like, I, I can't be, I can't be mad at, like, anyone. <laughs> it's not, like, you know, they don't, no one owes me anything. No, I, I understand that completely. And I think adapt is pretty much the, I think, the word of the game in in terms of the NFT scene right now. It's just adapt, adapt, adapt. You know, a, a lot of people say build, but honestly, yeah. when you build it, so like short-sighted or it's like one-track mind, whereas like adapt, I think, encompasses more of what it takes to be successful in this ecosystem. All right, so now... I want to know the details of the project and why this one is so unique, so special. It's unlike anything that I've seen thus far. But could you break down just the, the high-level overview? I can. So what we're doing is launching a horror thriller franchise that is called The Timekeeper. So it's about three kids in a small town who are tr essentially trapped playing a video game that it seems like there's no way to win and everyone who plays it dies. So the inspiration for this was actually last year in NFTs, um, where you feel like you can't turn off a game, but you also can't win it. So I think everyone in the NFT community will respond to the story. <laughs> but we're launching that. We've already fully produced a two-hour feature-length audio drama. There's name people involved in it, and one of them is also an executive producer. So. We've already fully produced this audio drama. It's already in front of the major podcasting people to sell it to. We're having conversations with production companies. So I would say in terms of us making content as an NFT project, our time to potential revenue is negative two weeks. Two weeks before we met, we already have stuff that could make revenue because we already have a finished product. What we have going on during this event is what we call the timekeepers game. So just like people in our story are trapped inside of a game they can't win, we want to trap NFT holders in a game they may or may not be able to win. So we have a 20K Timekeeper characters collection. Anyone who mints a Timekeeper character is able to play the Timekeeper's game during the event. And that's going to be an NFT-gated game where I won't get into the details, but basically it's like kind of trivia related to the audio drama itself. There's a wheel of chance that you can spin. And then there's also some puzzles uh, that you have to solve that have been designed by uh, Syfage, who does all the cyber brokers stuff. So there's this whole game experience. And those people who survive the game are able to mint for free Timekeeper NFTs and 10% of future revenue from any medium for the Timekeeper franchise is used to buy back Timekeeper NFTs from public marketplaces. Mm -hmm. So... We already have a finished product in the Timekeeper. You'll be able to listen to it and see if you think it'll do well. It's already made. So <laughs> there's a, you can judge for yourself. And then we also have a, a way for revenue to actually come back into Web3 um, specifically. So that's the project. And then if you don't survive the Timekeeper's game, your NFT gets turned into a ghost. So that means we push a metadata update. Your lovely, unique character that Ryan, our artist, worked so hard on. Um, is updated into a ghost. So there's a lot of different game mechanics. Do you play? Do you not play? If you don't play, your NFT becomes rare the more people who play. 
And then we have some great prizes in addition to the ability to mint a timekeeper. I can't think of the name of the feature film that the rock stars in, where it's based on based around that board game where they portal into Jumanji. Jumanji. Yeah, Jumanji. Yeah. So this kind of has like that Jumanji type vibe, right? Where you're kind of invested. You have this co-shared experience with if you lose, they essentially turn into ghosts and you're kind of trapped in the game forever. Yep. So that's what we're doing. So like what I wanted was, okay, I have, we have this movie, essentially like this audio drama created. Our characters are kind of playing this game. They have to figure out how to beat it. Um, they're not inside it like Jumanji. It would be more like the ring, right? You watch the videotape, now you're cursed. You play the game, now you're sort of cursed. I, how, do I, how do I make the experience of an NFT owner like that, right? That's why I talk about like interactive viewing, having skin in the game. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna, you can mint your character, the mental open on the 17th for, for premium people, and then go all the way through. The event's actually the 21st and 22nd of October. So you'll be able to mint a character. You'll be able to then watch the first two parts, the first hour, right? We'll stream live on Twitch. And then you can enter the timekeeper's game. So it's how, and now you're trying to survive inside of this game. So it's like, how can we create this mirrored experience? How can we make you feel that same sort of like stress and the sort of tension of, all right, am I going to survive or not? And turn that into a way for, again, I'd say it's like, this is kind of the first and only chance it'll be like for the launch of like this franchise for you to like play to own a timekeeper NFT. Like there are no, like I said, this, the game is once the event ends, once one groups, you know, once anyone solves the final puzzle, the game's over. Only people who are survived can mint timekeepers. There will never be more timekeepers. So it's like, if nobody buys the NFTs, then there's going to be some people who have a, a very sweet prize pool. <laughs> Mm. in a very a very small collection in terms of like who owns the timekeepers and gets the part of that revenue coming forward is the mint happening on thursday the 13th or monday the 17th no it's monday the 17th so we pushed it back because we had to wait on we're waiting on some as i mentioned why i can't say the cast is because we can't officially like put out who the cast is until that announcement is made in the trades so I'm going to run through some things and you let me know if I'm understanding them correctly. So essentially we have the Timekeeper characters, which is a 20K generative collection of characters, right? Yeah. Um, available to be to be minted for 0.042 Ethereum. Is that yep. the correct updated price? Yep. Awesome. And then survivors of the game, which they have to be either or they would be test subjects or helpers, right? They're allowed to mint a, a Timekeeper. And then yep. those who don't survive the game, they become ghosts. And then ghosts will still have product utility, but they will essentially lose, what, their visual uniqueness? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So all the ghosts look the same. There's no disparity in, in the ghost visuals? There's, so there's five base characters in mm-hmm. the character in the time period characters collection. So there'll be five different ghosts. Got it. But there's no distinguishing between the different ghosts. Yeah. And then the the timekeepers. So those who are fortunate enough to mint a timekeeper, yep. those NFTs have special utility to the future the entertainment projects. Yes. Oh, I was gonna say, and, and then 10% of the the business revenue will be used to purchase timekeepers on the secondary marketplace. Exactly, because that is, according to all legal counsel, the best way to actually bring money back into Web3 directly. Mm. Because it, you know, it gets around some of the like sure. tricky issues with security stuff. 
yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good solution there. And then winners of the game also, not not only do they get to mint the timekeeper, right, which should be pretty scarce, but uh, the winners of the game will also have a chance of receiving prizes or NFTs from the timekeeper's wallet, which I think they can look at the assets on the timekeeper.eth and the timekeeper.tez. Yeah, and the Tez things we're going to mostly give away actually in the lead up. But yeah, the timekeeper.eth has doesn't have all of the stuff yet because we don't want everyone to know what all of it is. But mm. uh, yeah, that is where some of those prizes are. So, and there's also, like we said, we're wanting this to be a community experience. People can also, because again, the timekeepers game is a game of survival. You can also participate as a community. So when you go to enter the NFT gated game, you'll be able to type a team name basically. So we already have some kind of verified communities that have community wallets like, Cyber Brokers, GM DAO, um, they'll actually be competing for community prizes, which are like USDC prizes that will go to the community wallet. So basically, whatever community has the most uh, surviving NFTs in the top 100 at the end of the game will win those prizes. And we haven't put up full game details. We're going to keep some of it mysterious, but there's what kind of is known. There's two phases to the game. So phase one runs between when we air the first episode, which is 10 p.m. EST on Friday, October 21st. And there will be rebroadcast of that for um, APAC and for European time zones. We're sensitive to time zones with this stuff. So phase one in the game, everyone starts with a fixed amount of time and they're trying to earn keys, which you can do by answering questions correctly and then spinning this wheel. So there's a leaderboard the whole time based on having the most keys and the most amount of time left. So that leaderboard at the end of phase one, which will run for like 18 hours, everyone's going to kind of have the amount of keys that they're going to have. And then in phase two, which is going to start right after we air episode two, which is 10 p.m. EST on Saturday, October 22nd, everyone's going to start losing time based on how many keys they have until the final puzzle is solved by any one person. So once similar to like the BAYC puzzle last year, last summer, when, when you don't have to be, cause I'm not really good at puzzles, like individuals don't have to solve the puzzle themselves. As soon as like the community solves it as a whole and one person enters it correctly, the game stops for everyone and the leaderboard is fixed. There there's things that we've built into the game that, so you mentioned test subjects and helpers and I don't want to, make this too complex for people the game itself when you play it is i think really intuitive Mm. um but when you decide to play the game you can say okay i want to play this character like my own character or i want to throw like if i let's say i have a you know a floor character i can throw it into like a helper pool and so there'll be certain rounds like you know like i said like people are trying to not lose all their time so you can use a helper to add more time to your character basically. And like, which could save you for a little bit longer. Okay. And there's a pool, there's a pool of helpers. So let's say someone has five NFTs, the like, they're probably not going to play. They're going to hold some of those back to be helpers. So I think when we look at the math, like it it would be very unlikely that, you know, even if the collection sells out and there's 20,000 people are not going to play with that many characters. Um, So given that we're in a bear, what do you expect in terms of demand? I guess I would say like we're not worried about like necessarily even selling out the collection for the game. Obviously, we want a lot of demand, but I think, like you said, it is a bear market. 
and it is a it's a really narrow window to like host something and it gives you almost no time to pick up momentum on things. So I would say like that for me, like since the beginning of doing this project has been like, this is going to be a real high wire act. Like, can you like catch this wave at the right time so that enough people care and then they get hype about it. And I would say like, we've discussed, we've discussed cause right now we have, right. It's a two night event and we discuss having it like Friday, the, 21st and then Friday the 28th, right? And giving you like that week to sort of like finish out that phase of the game and like do that. So that's been, we've thought about like doing that if it's like, okay, people really like this and enjoy this, but we are just behind on like marketing it, right? We're behind on pushing it. So yeah, I, I mean, I guess I would say, I, I don't know, like it, it's tough. Like you're trying to like time something at a really specific moment in a terrible market when nobody wants to do anything. Will it work? I don't know, maybe not. I think people will fall in love with it. I think the experience is going to be amazing. But to convince a lot of people that it will be before trying it is the challenge, right? Because then once those people like myself and and I go and try it, I'm going to tell other people that they should have been involved and they should get into the next one. But the thing is, there's no next one. one. (laughs) And the game is over. Yeah. Yeah. What is the, the roadmap? for the future. And I don't know if you don't like that word just as much as I don't like that word, but what is, what is the plan for the future? Like, are you, are you going to create events for other holidays? Does this one just happen to be Halloween lined up with the, uh, the theme, the idea of the story? Um, is it going to be held annually? Yeah, I think this is kind of a proof of concept for the event model. Right. And the, but it's also the launch of this franchise. So what we're looking for right now is we're talking to like, the podcast distribution companies, like an audio drama distribution companies is who's someone who wants to like buy this and come on for season two. And the talent is already signed on for a second season of this. Um, if we get that financing in. So I would say our plan is we're not selling any more NFTs like after this to like then raise money to do something else. It's more, we're trying to get money from traditional to be able to finance the next thing. And then maybe we have another sort of ticketed event. But we don't want to have another event until we have more content, right? Until we have like the next part of the story. Mm-hmm. So I would say the focus, the focus in terms of like roadmap is how do we build out the timekeeper as a franchise? And how do we do that like with the second season of audio drama? And do we also do that on the partnership on the TV and film side? So we're really looking at this. And like I said, if you are going development is the hard part, and people like when they do NFT entertainment products, usually skip that part and they do the easy part, which is a pitch deck or like here's characters for a world that we haven't written a story for. So that can't be optioned. It's like basically useless IP. Like you can say like, yeah, we're going to, someone's going to option this and turn it into something, but it's like if they could, and maybe they will, right. Robotos, right. Is -hmm. developing TV. That process though takes a year because there's nothing to start from. Yep. So that's why we're like shopping us right now and saying, okay, by this time, like next year, we already have a totally finished product. We could then have another finished product 12 months from now, do season two, change. I guess what I would say, what I would like to do is like, we have a wider sort of ticketed distribution model at a much lower price, but we're still rewarding the existing NFT holders. So you're trying to like create a model that's scalable and brings more people into that ecosystem. But yeah, it's the, the goal for the Timekeeper specifically is not to grow it as a Web3 brand, right? It's to launch it in Web3 
grow it as a Web2 brand and bring money back into Web3. Mm. Yeah, I think that's an important part to understand or important concept for people to understand because we're not used to it, right? We don't see it happening like yeah. that. So would you say that the, the timekeeper is the franchise or that the entertainment is the franchise? Timekeeper is the franchise. Okay. The entertainment is could do a lot of different IP, mm-hmm. um, but the timekeeper is the franchise. Got it. Again, if people want to find out more, the website is thetimekeeper.xyz. And then Matthew's social on Twitter is at the Matthew A. And then the, the Entertainment LA, that is their Twitter handle, at Entertainment LA. The only trick there is in Mint, yeah. it's M-I-N-T, which is actually funny. that And, and I noticed that today. Um, I didn't really take a, a close look at it, but when I was making my notes, um, I actually have the ENS on one of my wallets, uh, the Retirement right? Retirement. Yeah. Just, just like it is here. Um, and I thought I was so That's clever. And then, uh, you know, I went to go look at it on, on ENS, uh, the domains. And I was surprised that out of all this time, like nobody had claimed that one. So yeah. I scooped it up pretty quick. I think I have the entertainment. I think I have all the entertainment ENSs. We have the timekeeper.eth. So we got, if you want to know when we, yeah, how long we've been working on the project, just go back to when I got those ENSs early this year and you'll know. Yeah. Proof, right? <laughs> on, on the chain. <laughs> Right there. So just to go over the the uh, event timeline one more time, it's going to be Friday, October yeah. 21st, where it premieres on Twitch at 10 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. And that is not when the game begins. The game begins an hour and a half after that. So 11.30 p.m. Yeah. Eastern, phase one of the game begins. And then there will be a read broadcast for Asia Pacific and the Europe or Africa regions. Uh, one at 7 a.m. Eastern and then another at 2 p.m. Eastern. And then yep. shortly after that, at 6 p.m. Eastern, phase one actually ends. And then 10 p.m. Eastern, the part two premiere, um, part two will be broadcasted again on Twitch there. And then at 11.30 p.m. Eastern, phase two of the game begins. Will there be kind of like this cutoff? Like, will people already die in that phase one? Unless some math is wrong in a spreadsheet somewhere, there will be, there will be people who do not survive to phase two. Sweet. I, I love this. Again, I, I mean, I love mystery, you know, mystery shows. I love escape rooms. Um, I love puzzles, you know, so this is just kind of right up my alley. I don't know if I could say I love riddles. No, no, there's no riddle. There's no riddles. <laughs> there's no riddles. There is a riddle in the actual story that is referenced, but yeah, there's there's no riddles. And like I said, the, pu- the puzzles from Scythage are, uh, it, we did that so that the second phase is all community. So you don't have to be a puzzle expert. You're, you're at no disadvantage. Like if you're cheering for people who are puzzle experts, they can still, they'll save you because they'll solve them. So you're, everyone's fine. Thank you for coming on and explaining a bit about yourself and your background, the skills, what it takes to basically start a project all the way from the idea, all the way to the end, of, right before Mint, and then also the details of the timekeeper. Again, I will be participating. I'm want everybody to have a look at this. Uh, this is essentially, but I think it is a novel mix, like uh, approach to having this type of media and entertainment distributed to a Web3 community. And honestly, I am not surprised at all that it is this man right here that we're talking to that has come up with it. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate you having me on. It's good to uh, chat with you as always. Well, everybody, again, thank you, Matt, for coming on. Uh, It was a good talk, and we look forward to participating in the Timekeeper. Try to be a survivor. Uh, Everybody have a good night, good morning, GM and GN.